You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 35. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky, and that was our special theme music for today's episode, which was composed and recorded by our guest on today's show, music composer Cody Westheimer. Cody has lifelong interests in both music composition uh, and the natural world, and has found a unique way of combining these two interests. Cody has been scoring for film and television for more than 10 years and has developed a specialty in scoring wildlife and nature documentaries. I was fortunate enough to meet Cody at this year's International Wildlife Film Festival, and it was wonderful to interview him for this show and get a better sense of his background and how he developed these interests in music and the natural world. He's got some great stories to share about composing in the Alaska wilderness, as well as some helpful advice for filmmakers who are starting to think about music options for their next projects. Let's jump into this conversation. All right, well, I'm here with a music composer at New West Studios, Cody Westheimer. How are you doing, Cody? I'm good. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for agreeing to come on the show today. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, I'm going to start things off by just asking you how you first became interested in music and composition. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I, I started pretty young on piano um, and actually hated it. I gave my teacher a headache because <laughs> uh, all I wanted to do was like bang on the keys. I was, I was probably five or six years old, and so that didn't last very long. And uh, it wasn't until uh, later in elementary school that I, that I took up the trumpet and um, got pretty into it. I, I kind of dug the trumpet, and uh, I, I practiced pretty well. Um, I was definitely kind of on the on the on the track to being, you know, a fairly decent trumpet player when I got braces in uh, seventh grade, which is kind of a non-starter for for trumpet because the mouthpiece is so small. And so I I then proceeded to work my way down the brass spectrum. Um, to an instrument called euphonium, which is kind of like a, a valve trombone or miniature tuba um, that can also read the trumpet notation. Um, and so that made the transition really easy. Um, and from there, I just decided to kind of go for it and took up trombone to, um, in more of the jazz setting and uh, tuba in the more classical setting. And those are the two that stuck with me. Um, I became pretty serious about both of them. Uh, not pretty serious. Very. I mean, I was I was playing a new symphony on the tuba um, and uh, in jazz band on on the trombone, and ended up playing both at a fairly high level by the end of high school. But um, early in high school, um, actually, it was late middle school. I, I started taking up piano again. Um, also guitar, but I'm really focused on piano, kind of improvising and creating my own tunes and so forth. And by uh, by my second year in high school, um, got very serious about composition and actually ended up uh, studying with a, a, an incredible professor at UCSB while I was still in high school uh, named Jeremy Halladina. And he was uh, very much instrumental in me uh, developing as a composer pretty early on. And um, Ended up writing a piece for orchestra uh, in, I think, my junior year that was then performed my senior year in the, by the Youth Symphony and then the Santa Barbara Symphony. So I had some pretty big success early on in, um, in that realm. And, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky in that I really – I felt like I, I knew what I wanted to do pretty early. And it kind of coincided with, um, with my interest in the environmental movement as well. Um, it sounds kind of dweeby, but uh, the, the film Free Willy actually had a, a fairly large impact on me. Uh, <laughs> the, the score to that movie really captured me um, and also the cause of, you know, captive orcas was really um, was uh, was a big one for me. Um, 
So, um, I mean, it's kind of, it, it's incredibly dweeby sounding, but that, that movie really did change my trajectory a bit. Um, and I, I don't know if I would have found film music so early otherwise. Um, but, uh, you know, things very much snowballed from that, that point on, um, scores like Jurassic Park, um, you know, Apollo 13, um, some of those just incredible thematic scores of the nineties, um, really, really captured me and just made it very clear that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so from there, uh, I applied to, to school at USC and got accepted and, uh, got my bachelor's there while scoring a lot of student films and writing concert music. And, um, since I've, uh, been out of school uh, in 2001, I just been, you know, living in LA and, uh, trying to live the dream and scoring as many films as I can and television programs and so forth. And, um, that's kind of the, the, the condensed story, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and, and I love, uh, I, I love the fact that this film free Willy, you know, you talked about these other films, but like, um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's actually something that, um, that we've talked about a few times, uh, on, on the podcast is, you know, what role do these, you know, big budget Hollywood produced films that do incorporate, you know, uh, environmental messaging, you know, yeah. the, the importance, uh, the important role that, that those films can play. Um, and yeah, I mean, Free Willy, we, we think of that as, as this really cheesy movie from our childhood. Um, but there's a really important message there, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. I mean, I remember seeing that. I mean, I was, I was, I think 13 or 14. I can't remember exactly. Um, uh, maybe, maybe even a little younger. Um, and I just, I remember leaving the theater. I had seen it with this weird friend of mine at the time. Um, and I just felt so weird. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to process what emotion I, I was feeling. Like, um, I remember very strange for, um, like one of my reactions was like, I would love to be an orca trainer. Like, and I just, and I think that I was so conflicted, um, like about what I want to be close to these animals. I love these animals. They're so cool. Um, and, and so I remember going back to that movie with my mom and realizing I don't want to be an orca trainer. I want to fight for them to be free. Like, what the hell was I thinking? I mean, it just, it, it kind of stirred. It's not that it didn't get the message. It was that I had such a strong connection with these animals that that, that was the seemingly path to least resistance. And the orca trainers weren't the bad people in the movie it was the you know the owners of the park or whatever but it was just this it was just kind of one of those i I think everyone has like that that film that they see at that kind of pivotal age that um that kind of helps define them and and helps direct them um and for me i mean one of them was free willy which again sounds pretty dweeby but it did have a powerful message and it did kind of i mean the the, my dad was a veterinarian so i've been around animals since i was very young and um learned to love them very young and and so i was very primed to be um you know a very environmental and animal you know driven person and um I, I just, you know, this was at the time, you know, in the mid to late nineties where it was not, it was not cool to be a tree hugger at the time. I mean, that's what we were called. Right. I mean, and so, you know, of course I start the, I start an environmental club at my high school and, you know, I mean, I, I you know, it's still around today. It's, <laughs> but I, we, you know, we got recycling going at our high school. I mean, that was before that was, you know, automatic. And so, um, it was it was very pivotal for me like that um, in that it just kind of – there was this part of me that it really awoke or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It, it was it was pretty interesting. And then, and then for the score also to be um, pretty pivotal for me as well. It's this beautiful thematic score that's not really often spoke, you know, spoken of like as being one of the great scores. But it just has a beautiful theme that really encapsulates the whole – journey through the movie and of course there's the michael jackson song um so you know uh, it was it, it's funny how that kind of kind of started and for a long time i kind of avoided telling people because it does sound really like oh free willy got me into film scoring <laughs> it's like i mean come on right um but i i think it it more more than film scoring it really it sent me on this trajectory that um and i i think i very much I, i'd like to think that if it wasn't free will it was going to be something else i mean 
<laughs> it didn't take free willy to, to 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 get me on this course but um i just think that it's kind of interesting that um it really it got me aware of film music um in a way that i had not been aware of of scoring before um i mean i i i I, ha- I didn't know that there was movie soundtracks before then. I had just seen movies, you know. Um, I think I think like Back to the Future. I would recognize the music if I heard it, but I didn't think, oh, there's someone who wrote that music for that movie um, at, until that point. Um, and then you know, th- with the environmental component as well, that really helped me channel my views and my my passion for that as well. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely after this conversation. I'm going to have to revisit that film i need to i need to rewatch <laughs> free willy for sure and, and and pay closer attention to the score because i think you know like you said with some of the other films like I, that's definitely not a component of um I, I i you know i think actually of most most films you know and especially like hollywood produced films you know i'm not sort of trained to like pay close attention to to that component of it um, sure but yeah i mean yeah free willy it's um yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, right? I mean, you know, the the score aside, like it's it, it's interesting to me, just sort of thinking about this now that um, you know there 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 is very much this this movement, this component of you know the subset of the environmental movement and like animal rights movement that's very much focused on um, on orcas, you know, killer whales right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, in large part because of the documentary Blackfish, but it's just Blackfish, interesting to think yep. that you know you know, to remember that like, yeah, yeah, we had this film free Willy that like had this very powerful message that was, you know, very similar in a lot of ways to a lot of the messaging we're hearing now. Um, totally. It took 20 years, but I mean, that was we finally have, that, right? I know it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, we finally have movement on it. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. We went to a sea world protest, um, about a year ago, right, right around the time blackfish was, um, really hot. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to see what's happening. Um, I mean, side note, uh, this is how ingrained in my psyche uh, <laughs> this is. I was a big part of not. I, I shouldn't. You might want to edit that out. I was not a big part. I, I did my small part um, at the time of um, you know being an activist for for Keiko. Uh, of course, the orca who played Willie in Free Willie, and you know I was here. I am like this little you know teenage boy writing letters you know to you know this aquarium in mexico and writing letters to to SeaWorld to help and uh to free a, a whale named corky there and yada 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 anyway so i was very i was very invested in that whole plight of that that whale named keiko keiko um um so we we just rescued um a samoyed from korea actually um and decided to name her keiko <laughs> so <laughs> the legend lives on <laughs> nice nice so um, i'm wondering how I mean, it's 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 cl- very clear that you've had this interest in music composition um and also this interest in in wildlife and and the outdoors and the environment you know from a very early age um i, I guess i'm wondering you know how you have sort of brought those two interests together. And I, I know that you've written scores for a number of uh, uh, wildlife documentaries. Um, I, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, sort of at what point in your career were you able to, you know, sort of finally bring those two interests together? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been... Uh it's been a process for sure. I mean, my first initial compositions, um, like back to high school, um, we're kind of, we're kind of going back in time here a bit in this, <laughs> but, um, like, I mean, those are, they're all nature themes. I was thinking about this and, and, you know, yesterday in, you know, when I was going to be talking to you and, and predicting that this would be a, you know, kind of a, a natural, uh, you know, line of questioning. <laughs> it's like all of my, all of my pieces that I, that I had written, you know, very, very early, like my initial musical explorations were all nature based. They were all inspired by nature. Um, and so it's, it was very natural for me, um, to, you know, I think, let's see, it was probably, it was pretty early in my career. I, I kind of realized that there was this whole, um, this, this whole, like, different industry that is the wildlife and nature film industry. And, um, I, I started going to the Jackson hole festival, um, and, um, just meeting people and 
and my passion for nature and music. And that's kind of, I, I would say, where it kind of started. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with, uh, with Discovery. And so I've done uh, a few programs for them and also Smithsonian. And so it just, it, it's, it's I, I feel like a, a, a mentor of mine, Richard Bellis, set up perfectly. Um, your career is like a river raft. And the river is going to take take it take you where it takes you. You could kind of steer it a little bit, and you could, I guess, get out of the river if you want. <laughs> you could choose to go over rapids. You can't choose to go over some. I mean, um, or you get guided into some without wanting to be there. So it's it's just a good analogy. And so I've tried to do my best to steer. I mean, to steer things towards the wildlife film. Um, I mean, I still I, I, I still do a lot of independent films and different documentaries that are not nature or wildlife driven at all. And I really enjoy those too. I just I I definitely enjoy diversity in my career and and kind of each score has such a a different demand on my skill set it's 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 always intriguing to you know to challenge myself and, and so forth so i really enjoy that at the same time i love looking up at my monitor of something i'm scoring and seeing you know wildlife or a beautiful nature scene i mean i really really respond well to that so um it's something i've definitely been exploring um the other thing is is that the type of music you get to write for that sort of thing um I just I just finished my first IMAX uh, film late last year, which was not a nature theme. Um, it, it was a space movie, um, which I guess you could argue is nature, but it was. <laughs> but it's more um, it's more exploration driven than um, than anything. And um, the type of music you get to write for that sort of film, um, and I include like kind of the blue chip wildlife films. In, in this as well, is very much the type of music that got me into film scoring in the first place, like those, those great scores of the nineties that I, that I mentioned. Um, whereas that sort of scoring, if you take an independent film or, um, a lot of independent documentaries too, they're, we're not, we're not scoring them that way anymore. They're not as thematic. They're not as big and orchestral, um, which is fine. Like I said, that's a, that's a different, like skill set and demand um, and challenge. I, I just I just scored um, a film about the Afghanistan war um, this last spring that was really you know it was basically some drones, piano, and cello. I mean, it was very minimal um, in the context of like you know some big thematic orchestral music. But um, <laughs> I'm kind of digressing. I'm trying to remember exactly what the first question was. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Matt. No, it's, a, it's it's all good. I mean, you, you sort of, yeah, you you, you took it exa- exactly in the direction I was hoping, which you know, just sort of talking about that that relationship between your interest in wildlife and your film scoring. Um, but I, I kind of want to ask you, um, uh, I, I guess, a more specific question. I, I guess I'm I'm wondering. Um, I, I kind of want to hear about a few um, of the soundtracks that you've done that you're most proud of. Um, sure. And it could be, you know, like may- maybe there's like a wildlife or a, a, a nature doc that, um, that you're particularly proud of and maybe one that, that, that doesn't relate to, um, to the outdoors or to, to wildlife. Sure. I mean, uh, I would say the, the, the two that stick out in my mind, um, that, uh, well, the, the I'll, I'll start with two that aren't, aren't nature based um the one being the imax film journey to space that i just mentioned um that was just such an incredible project to be a part of um i mean it's it's one of those institutional imax films that'll be um it's it's currently in like dc at the air and space museum and it's around the country it's coming to la in the fall um and it's just this great 45 minute short of you know our history in space exploration and our future and um, I really had a pretty long leash on this one. Um, and I just, it was just so much fun to, you know, to play with thematic music to, we recorded a, you know, a full orchestra on the project. And um, I mean, it really is probably one of the closest things to like A-list scoring that I've been able to do over the years. So it was just tremendously exciting. I, I really enjoyed the, the whole process of working with the director and editor and producers. It was just, it was really, it all came together. It was every once in a while you have those projects that just like remind you exactly of why you are 
doing what you do. And that was certainly one of them. Um, the other project, um, it's still not nature, um, that was very close to me was, um, in 2011, um, I got the opportunity to demo for and then get uh, the tour for the uh, sorry the theme for the Tour de France on um, NBC. And I'm a big cycling fan and cyclist myself, so that was obviously a huge coup d'état for me. Um, being able to write, you know, that and that uh, sports themes are another you know kind of realm where you're able to get big orchestral music <laughs> as well. So that, that was a really fun one. Um, um, so nature, nature wise, I'm trying to, trying to think of my favorite project. I've done, um, a few hours, uh, a few, a few TV hours, um, this year, both of which were really good experiences. Um, I'll mention, uh, Nate and Neil of day's edge productions. I don't know if you know Nate and Neil, I do, yeah. uh, great guys. Yeah. Um, two really dear friends of mine and um we did a film called um islands of creation for smithsonian it just premiered uh about a month ago and um it was a pretty tall order we did the whole we scored the whole film in 10 days um which is a lot of music <laughs> for <laughs> for 10 days i mean but possible um so that was a pretty <sighs> I want to use the word ball busting, but um, like proposition, I mean, it was definitely, you know, condensed, but um, I'm really proud of how it came out. Like sometimes the the ones that you have to really feel like you're rushing through just, you know, when, when the stars align with a gig like that, it, it's kind of amazing what you could come up with. And I think, I, I, first of all, I think that project um, is going to do you know, really well with, um, I mean, it already has, but I just, I, I just think it's going to continue to do really well. It's such an interesting exploration. The film is basically about um, evolution um, or speciation, I should call it, um, occurring in real time in the Solomon Islands. And it follows this um, fascinating um, scientist named Al Uwe. I think that's his name. I hope I got that right. Um, uh, studying these, uh, these two uh, – these, these flycatchers um, that are diverging um, – and it's just a fascinating. I mean, it's what's incredible is for me. I'm not a scientist. Um, I sound like a Republican suddenly. Um, <laughs> um, but I, so I don't. I don't. I don't claim to have a deep understanding of uh, you know of speciation and evolution. It, it makes it so accessible and it, it just, uh, you know, kind of idiot proof in a way. And it was just so fascinating and, it, and it's all encapsulated in his journey and these islands. And, um, it, it of course touches on habitat destruction and stuff. It just, it's such a multifaceted, um, it's, it, it's amazing how much they got across in a TV hour. Um, and so that, that was just a, a very exciting project to be a part of. Um, despite the time frame, I'm really proud of what we came up with. And um, I just felt like, um, I mean, it's wall to wall music, too. I think, that, you know, it's a I think there was close to 40 minutes of music on a 44 minute show. So it was very dense. Um, but it, you know, it was just a, it, the, the process from b- beginning to end, albeit short was, was very, very good. And, um, I, I'm, I'm really proud of that, um, of that project. Nice. So you just returned from this, uh, really interesting sounding composition seminar, uh, up, up there in Alaska. Um, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about this experience and, uh, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see it influencing your composition work moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it already has, to be honest with you. So, uh, my mom randomly was at the Fairbanks, uh, summer art festival last summer, um, doing a workshop with her friend, I think in painting. Um, and this spring, um, she just, you know, like any mom does, she forwards things that she thinks might be of interest. And, um, and it was this composing in the wilderness workshop. And so it certainly made my eyes light up. Um, and so without even asking my wife, I just emailed the guy, um, to see, you know, what the deal was. And he emailed me right back telling me, you know, unfortunately, um, the workshop was full this year. Um, so to try again next year, but there, there's a waiting list. Um, that was something like 10 deep or something like that for, for nine spots. Um, if I, if I wanted to, he could add my name to the list. I said, sure. Why the hell not knowing that 
you know, 10 deep, it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, I kind of wrote it off and think, thinking that, okay, well, maybe I'll try to do it next year. Um, I'm, I hadn't really heard about it just because I'm not, I'm, I'm not such a part of the academic circle anymore in terms of concert music. It's very much a, a concert music uh, sort of aim workshop. Um, and so I was surprised he even responded to me being a, uh, you know, more of a film guy these days. There, there tends to be a little bit of a divide with concert music and film music. Um, Something that I wasn't concerned about, but um, just, you know, since there is that divide, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure how interested they would have me, you know, how much interest they would have in having me take part in it. So uh, we, my wife and I planned this fairly elaborate road trip um, with both dogs um, going up the Pacific coast this summer. And uh, in mid-May, uh, this is all kind of derailed because I get an email from the workshop runner, Stephen Lias, uh, that a spot has opened up. Um, and you know, I'm next in line. Do I want it? He, I need to let him know ASAP if so. And so I tell my wife, I'm like, Julia, uh, you know, you work really, really hard nine months out of the year. I don't want to deprive you of a vacation. So this is your call. I I would love to go to Alaska, but I'm, I am happy to go on a road trip too. I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm pressuring you to let me go on this because you know, we'd already like booked the rooms and everything. Right. And she thought about it and really wanted me to do it. And I mean, I was so grateful for, you know, I just thought that was very generous of her to have me do it. And um, we, we planned that um, her and my mom actually would come up to Fairbanks and um, spend a week up there for, uh, towards the end of the workshop once we were back, in, um, you know, out of the back country. And so we kind of decided to kind of merge the two ideas in a way. And so anyways... Um, Without all that backstory complete, um, basically uh, there are nine of us, and, uh, plus the instructor, plus a couple guides, and we uh, went out to Denali um, and camped at this uh, fairly remote camp called Teklanika, uh, right on the river, and um, we would do these pretty uh, rugged uh, day hikes, um, the first day being the most rugged. Um, we, I think we only did about seven or eight miles, but... We, um, you know, there are no trails in Denali, as I learned. I mean, everything is just kind of bushwhacking or walking in tundra. And so we would make it up these crazy ridges that I never really, you know, <laughs> thought would be possible. Uh, thank you, trekking poles. Um, and just, and that would kind of be, this kind of served as like the inspiration portion of the trip. And there's something about Denali. I had never been to Alaska, period. Um, and, that, that is just so vast and awe-inspiring. Um, we would have these hours um, where we would have what we called creative time, where we would just be, you know, we would find our way to a ridge and um, pick a spot and then just kind of look and gaze. And we all had music paper with us. So, you know, we're pe- just pencil and papering ideas and so forth. And um, it was just an absolutely stunning experience in Denali. Like it, it just also being disconnected from, you know, the phone, email. It was just such a, a life-changing experience out there. Um, I, of course, got some compositional ideas. And, and my first my first intuition uh, or my first idea was to do something, of course, beautiful and awe-inspiring because that's what Denali is. When uh, it kind of got hijacked by this little creature called the Arctic ground squirrel, Um <laughs> It's just ridiculous. This is dweebery on the scale of Free Willy. Um, but, but this little thing, its heart beats at 300 beats per minute, except in the winter when it slows to two beats per minute, which I just found fascinating and like, and, and pretty, pretty like, uh, interesting musical opportunities to have such a contrast and, you know, for, for the seasons. And so, um, I decided to do kind of this bizarre exploration of the of the ground squirrel, and it, it, part of the reason I, I chose this as a topic was because the ensemble that we were writing for was very eclectic, and, and I would almost say strange. It's a group called Concert Black. That's uh, percussion, which is like a, um, which can be drum set or glockenspiel in my case, um, and. Uh, bass, um, which was like this electric upright bass, which is kind of cool, and flute. And they could also all sing. So it was just, there was not a tremendous amount of what we composers would call um, harmonic content. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a tremendous potential 
for a lot of harmony and stuff like that, just because the bass and the flute are, you know, for the most part, single line instruments. And then the glockenspiel is so high, it's hard to get a sense of harmony. Um, so I thought, well, let's maybe something quirky would really work. Um, and so, uh, from Denali, after we were done there, we went back to Fairbanks and hopped on a bush plane to this place called Yukon Charlie. Um, and uh, where it's a camp where they used to dredge for gold. Where the, so there's a huge gold dredge uh, in the area that we visited and it was fascinating learning about that. And uh, when you're not being attacked by mosquitoes, there was a basketball hoop that we kind of screwed around with. But uh, perhaps the best time there was um, going to this place called Slavin's Roadhouse on the Yukon River. And um, I spent the night there a couple of times. And it's just unbelievably gorgeous. I don't think I realized – how much I would fall in love with the Yukon. It's just, there's something so incredibly majestic about this. Like, I, I think it was close to a mile wide where we were at. And it's just unbelievable. I'm the only one who actually went in and, and tried to go for a swim. It was a little too cold for me. But, uh, it was just an incredible experience, and that's where we we were kind of penned up there uh, for about four days, um, writing our pieces. Um, and so, um, you know, some people were uh, writing pencil and paper. Some people were on their um, on their laptops, and um, I I made the somewhat uh, <laughs> somewhat of an error in hindsight of just bringing my iPad. There's this kind of rudimentary notation program on the iPad, um, which really slowed me down. But it was you know challenges are always especially when you have no other options are always kind of make you think outside the box a little bit and so i i wrote this whole little piece on my ipad um that then we flew back to fairbanks and um met with the performers and they uh rehearsed our music and um at which point my wife and mom arrived and we went back to denali um so i had the you know little tourist time with them um in denali and then we uh had the pieces performed and uh, it was pretty exhilarating. I mean, they, these these eight other composers, um, and then you know, of course the 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 guy who ran the whole thing, Stephen Lias. We just became such amazing friends, and um, it was like almost going back to college um, in in the camaraderie stamp, you know, from a camaraderie standpoint. But in I would say in college, though, there's there's always like a little bit of tension with your classmates because you're always like a little competitive or something like that. And for whatever reason, in this context, you know, we're all adults. Um, three uh, three or four of them uh, were professors. Um, a couple grad students, a couple of doctoral students. Um, Actually, an undergrad also, um, and then a couple people who were out. I was the only, you know, film centric person, I guess. Um, so these are all concert composers that I was a little intimidated by, honestly, because that's something I really wish I explored a little bit more thoroughly. Um, I love concert music, and um, so this was kind of a, a, you know, a return for me. Um, but it was just, it was such an interesting concert because. We're all glued together by writing for the same ensemble, but um, it, it was just interesting to hear everyone else's take. And what was so fascinating to me is this concert was was you know nine different pieces, and each one of them I'm kind of like rooting for the person. I'm like it's like I'm feeling like I'm a small part of of their piece or something like that. And I'm sure they're feeling the same way about my piece. It, it's just that the camaraderie was something else. And, um, we're, we're to this day, we're all texting each other and stuff like that. It's just like a, it's like a little family. It, it was really just an incredible experience. Um, one that I'm really thankful to be a part of, um, both to, you know, both to Steven Lias for <laughs> having me on the waiting list and for my wife for letting me go. But, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a really in- incredible changing experience for me just being in the back country. And I've already come back, um, and started, you know, writing music. That's a little bit more, um, I would use the word market friendly. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I've been writing some more awe inspired music, uh, in my, in my studio. That's you know, not more, much more filmic than it is concert at this point, just because I, I was really inspired by that landscape. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to, you know, I'm hoping that the biggest thing that I, I learned from it was just time in the back country, I think is going to be crucial for me. Um, as I, you know, get a little older, just, you know, living in LA, the hustle and bustle and, you know, 
the whole Hollywood scene, it's, it's a little tough for me at times. And so I think having that time to just go out and get disconnected and reconnect with nature is um, something I've always known is important to me. But I think I need to make a real point moving forward of, of spending some time off the grid each, each year. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely, I think, important for everybody, you know, and um, that, that's something that, that I'm able to find, you know, on, on, on certain film shoots, right? You know, uh, when, when you're in, um, but, but, you know, as a music composer, then, I mean, I, I guess you, you probably have to spend more time see, really seeking that out because you could just, um, you, you don't necessarily get that uh, sort of directly through the work that you're doing. Like I, Exactly. I'm incredibly envious of uh, what you guys do because, I mean, it's like, oh, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm sure you're friends with Nate and Neil on Facebook. It's like, oh, we're off to Peru now. Oh, we're off to Costa Rica. Oh, we're off to Africa. I mean, it's just like and, – and then, you know, they, I tell them I'm going to Alaska. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're jealous? You guys have been to like five countries in the last month and you're jealous of my little Alaska trip? I mean, come on. So, yeah, it's it definitely is something I need to to focus on a little bit more to stay sane i mean um everyone talks about la kind of you know sucking the the soul out of you and it can a little bit i think i haven't let it yet (laughs) and i don't plan on letting it anytime soon i'm not sure if i'll end up here um we'll see but um that's part of the impetus for me um this spring um i think i shared with you the 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 photos um of my mobile rig that i i i Spent a lot of time this spring. The technology is finally in a place where I could take my studio and um, basically put it inside a really souped-up iMac. Um, I mean, it's still it's not quite as powerful as my studio, but the the fact that it's modular and that that I could basically um, open up what I'm working on the iMac in my real studio, um, real studio, um, <laughs> or take a file that I'm working on in my main studio. I'm going to call it my main studio instead of my real studio, um, <laughs> on my mobile rig, um, without having to like do all sorts of remapping and so, and so forth. Th- that's pretty remarkable that we're finally there with the technology. Um, it was just this, this winter that, uh, a new version of the, the pair of software that I use, um, got compatible with each other to to some extent, to the extent that I can actually make that work. Um, so that was the real impetus. It was like, oh my God, I could actually do a, mo- a mobile studio now. And so I love to build stuff. Um, I'm a, a pretty pretty adept woodworker. And um, so I decided to build this uh, overly complex, <laughs> it's definitely overly complex, uh, road case. You know what you see like bands uh, use like uh, when they're going on the road that basically folds open um, in just a few minutes to a full on studio with, you know, it's all hooked up. So all you got to do is plug this thing in and it's, it's like really ready to go. I mean, I could literally, it, it weighs a little bit more than I had hoped. It's probably close to 200 pounds. So it's very difficult to wrangle on my own, although I can, um, and uh, I mean, literally in a few minutes, I could you know, have this thing pop up and I designed it so it fits perfectly in the back of my Subaru. So I could basically be camping in the middle of nowhere. Um, event, you know, the next step is to get like an off grid kind of solution with um, with a, a pretty powerful battery pack that could last me a couple of days and maybe, you know, solar eventually as well. I haven't gotten there yet. But um, that I'm hoping is, uh, you know, I've only taken a, uh, one trip so far. I am planning on taking it to Jackson Hole. Um, but I'm hoping that's kind of my, my, my way out of LA, um, whenever I want basically. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a project. Um, you know, I, I could, I could take it with me and let inspiration hit, you know, in Yosemite or, or wherever. So, um, that's kind of a goal of mine to, you know, wife, um, (laughs) wife allowing, (laughs) you know, um, I, I don't plan on, on being in LA all the time anymore. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, you could even travel to the location at which, uh, you know, certain films were shot, maybe, you know, especially if it's a wildlife or an outdoor documentary and it's not too far from where you're living, you know. Um, I mean, or going to the shoot and composing on site. That would be incredible. And I know some of my filmmaker friends would just love that because it's like, I mean, um, it would totally make sense. I mean, you know, with 4K and everything, it's, I mean, it's not like, 
it's not like there's a void of, oh, I wish I had a, had been there to get inspired because I'm not feeling it. That's not like that exists. I mean, it certainly does. You know, when I when I see this insane footage, it's it's definitely inspires me, even if I haven't visited the place. But I, I would suspect that had I been at the shoot, um, I mean, that something a little extra special would come out of that, you know. For sure. So, for sure. so that that's something I definitely would love to explore. So it's it's kind of and it's 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 a pretty cool little 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 goofy thing to be able to you know I don't know it's it's very funny to just pop this studio up out of the back of the car. I mean, just to see people driving by and like what the hell? <laughs> I mean, because I mean it's it's just a very bizarre sort of thing that I've always kind of dreamed of happening, and finally, you know, with the with the exception of doing the off grid thing, which is a, something I got to figure out pretty quick. Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely see that being a um, an interesting selling point, you know, um, f- from the perspective of a filmmaker. Like, hey, if this guy writes the score for me, like, he's going to show up on set and, like, be inspired by, like, you know, the actual real-life surroundings of totally. the story that we're trying to, to, to tell. So. And, and, and it's good for me because I get to go to these awesome places. Yeah, and, right? <laughs> and, and it's a business uh, trip, you know? Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it definitely has a lot of potential. And, um, you know, the other idea that I have um, – I, hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> uh, she knows about my my aspiration to get like a uh, uh, or goal to get a cabin somewhere. But like you know, a cabin like somewhere nearby, you know, in Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear is kind of a dream of mine. Where you know this mobile rig would fit perfectly there because um, you know it'd be something I could take there. Um, and just you know, I'm 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 a mountain guy. I love the mountains. You know, I'm, there's a reason I haven't shaved since I've been back from Alaska. <laughs> you know, yeah, nice. We should digress into beard talk because I need some pointers on how to get it softer. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a casualty, man. It's yeah. like I'm at the tipping point. It's still itchy and uh, it's still too spiky for the wife. So we yeah. got to. There's definitely an awkward intermediary stage. Yeah, you just got to stick it out for a little uh, bit longer until... <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at like a month. How much longer, man? <laughs> oh, man, a month already. I guess it depends. It's different for each person, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, give it, give it another month and you'll probably be good. <laughs> we'll see if it lasts. I, I'd yeah. love for it to, you know, still be, you know, going for in a couple months for Jackson Hole. That'd right. be fine. Yeah, you'd, 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 yeah, you'd fit in real well with that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so... I, I kind of want to close things out here just by maybe getting some advice from you, you know, thinking about folks out there who are, you know, maybe aspiring filmmakers, um, filmmakers who are sort of just, you know, uh, starting to uh, build their career. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's definitely common for, um, you know, young filmmakers to to overlook the importance of a music score um, and to sure. just sort of write it off as like, oh, I can just like buy some stock music, you know, off, right. off one of these sites. Um, I mean, and, and, and that's not, to, you know, I mean, I think, and I, you know, I, I think you would agree based on, you know, some of the conversations we've had in the past that, you know, uh, you can, you can uh, take that strategy and, and, and make it work, you know, if, if you're, really good about the the selections you make um, yep. as far as stock music is concerned. Absolutely. But um, I, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, what, what advice you might have for um, s- someone in that position um, yep. who's, you know, maybe just starting to think about, um, you know, scoring or the music they'll use for their film. I think there's a couple of things and it's not even just um, aspiring filmmakers. I mean, I run into this all the time with very, very accomplished professionals. You know, um, I think it's a couple, a couple things. It's, a, I mean, <laughs> it's a deep topic. So uh, forgive me if I ramble, but um, I think one thing with the stock music, obviously there's the budgetary concern and that's what you know, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons going that route is that, um, I mean, full disclosure, I have my own library. And so I have my own stock music, if you will, that, um, that 
I, you know, people use. And um, oftentimes what I'll do is kind of what I call the hybrid approach, which is where, you know, they, they might start by using stock music and then we'll customize it to their needs and maybe replace some things and make transitions between others and so forth. So that's a good kind of halfway point. But I think for some people, I think there's a fear involved with communicating with a, a composer. I think that's, that's, that's definitely... Uh, something that I always run into, especially with the younger filmmakers, they're, they're concerned about how they explain what they're looking for to a composer because they don't, they might not think they understand music or they might not think they have the vocabulary to be able to communicate with the composer. And, um, that's something that I, you know, I, I feel like once a month, at least I'm telling a director, don't worry about, you know, the vocabulary. That's our job to interpret. I mean, you tell me, you give me, uh, you know, most filmmakers are adept storytellers. So they're certainly familiar with, you know, simple emotional words like sad, happy, but or, you know, or deeper words, you know, like just, you know, English, really. I mean, <laughs> that that uh, that would, you know, convey to me, um, you know, I hear quirky, I hear um awe-inspiring. I hear, you know, there are any number of emotional words that bring up musical vocabulary to me. And so, um, or any composer for that matter. So I think that that's a kind of a fear that I, I, I don't think is so justified um, because, or maybe it's just misunderstood that a composer really part of the job description. It's not, we don't just write beautiful music or, or action music or, or whatever. We, I, the, I would say a good 50% of being a composer is communicating with the, with uh, the directors and producers. I, I just really, I mean, if you can't, you could be the most talented composer in the world. If you can't understand what they're looking for and, and, um, and get in the ballpark even, then your great music is never going to be heard. Um, so I, I just, that, that's something I tell a lot of young composers too. It's like, you know, focus on getting your craft perfect, but also focus on understanding how you got there and what type of words, um, people that aren't musical might use. So, um, I would say that's a big thing. Um, so I would, I would try to wash away the fear, um, uh, of the communication barrier. Um, and, uh, you know, from a budgetary perspective, um, you know, composers can be had at all different levels. There are plenty of aspiring composers that will work for very little or for free even, um, on inspired projects. And so I, I think that it's just like how you shoot, how you edit. Um, it's one of those trades that in filmmaking needs to be exercised by young filmmakers. Um, and so, you know, there is a concern when they're just using library music, um, that they're not, they're there's going to be a void with how they might communicate with a composer down the line. Um, at the same time, when you are cutting to library music, I think there's a flair for editing that can also be gained. And so one thing that I do a lot of is kind of a, you know, actually with Nate and Neil right now, we're working on these spots for uh, WWF and um, we're going back and forth. So they gave, they, they gave me dailies just to basically give me some sort of visual stimulation. Um, I wrote these tracks for them. Um, so they're kind of, I mean, I wouldn't call them library tracks because they're custom written for these projects. But I also wouldn't call it scoring because I wasn't scoring to picture at the time. Like I wasn't hitting beats and, you know, hitting emotional highs and lows um, to picture. I was just doing that kind of on my own, um, trying to get in a good pacing for the track as it's, you know, own standalone piece of music. And then uh, they basically cut to that and created the highs and lows, you know, from, you know, it's like reverse scoring in a way. So, but that, that technique uh, I've noticed is very popular with a lot of documentary filmmakers, um, both for the short form, which are these, uh, these, these projects and the long form. I've done a fair amount of documentaries where I've just basically written very rough tracks um, to dailies, essentially. Like, okay, well, this is where uh, this animal is going to be, you know, chasing, uh, you know, its prey. And this is, you know, but but not like writing to picture to the extent of where, where you know, where, that, where the kill actually occurs having a big hit point. Um, just more of like a general feel. And then that'll be cut later um, to the music. So there's kind of this hybrid approach where it can go back and forth, where if you have the luxury of time, uh, the long 
long form can be tough with the time frame just because it ends up going back and forth a lot. But for the short form, certainly it's very plausible. Um, and since most aspiring filmmakers are, are usually making short films, that, that can be a, a fascinating direction to take um, – you know, to, to start with scoring, because that also gives you, it kind of gives you the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if I'm kind of going on a tangent here. No, those, those were two really awesome points. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, uh, that's, that's definitely a question that, that I get a lot, um, as well Is like, when is the appropriate time to bring on, you know, to, to get the, uh, a music composer involved. Right. And, and I think a sure. lot of folks wait until, you know, oh, we have this really, you know, polished cut, this fine cut of the film. Right. And like, okay, now it's time to bring a composer. And it's like, not necessarily, you know, I mean, there are these hybrid approaches and you can get a lot of benefits from, you know, getting that composer involved earlier on. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, starting to uh, get them more involved in the process, I think, can definitely have benefits for the project. And um, so I really like that point. But, I mean, you're, the, the first point you made, I think, is also really important to touch on as well. Um, which is the fact that you you sh- you really shouldn't be afraid to seek out um, a composer, and you know even if if your film has a really low budget, you know you chances are you can find a composer that oh yeah to compose for whatever that budget is. Even if you don't have a, a budget, you know if, you know you, I'm sure you could find. Um, uh, I mean, we've worked with with interns who have agreed to do projects, you know, for free just because they want that experience. Absolutely, um, and they're interested in the in the you know the subject matter of of the project i will just say one thing on that note to both to composers and film filmmakers who might be listening when it is a project that is either very low budget or um or no budget for the music um one thing that uh, a mentor told me very early on is to keep the rights to your music in those situations and thankfully i listened and that's one of the reasons i have such a vast library and i would just implore all the composers to fight for that and i would also plead with the filmmakers if you if you're not paying your composer or you're paying them very little don't fight with that let them have the rights to their music um, so, you know, down the line, they can monetize that music or, you know, or, or, or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, Absolutely. it's just one of those, one of those things that, you know, I have, I, usually it doesn't, it, it's not an issue, but at times it has been. And it's, it's something I've had trouble wrapping my head around. It's if the money is there totally. And you know, then it's fine for it to be a work for hire and that music to be exclusive in perpetuity, um, to that project. But if it's not there, they're really, you know, the music's as sacred as the project and, um, that person's time is valuable. Um, and you know, you're getting a custom score for little or nothing. Um, so I, I, I hope, I hope I'm not too sounding too preachy, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say to both sides, that's, that's just one thing. I, I think that some people, uh, you know, in the old days, <laughs> um, you know, it, it any any score would automatically be owned by that film and that made a lot of sense because you want the film you know the film's theme to be proprietary certainly that's true with all the sports themes that i do um you know you don't want the tour de france theme showing up on a trout fishing commercial or something (laughs) you know i mean so that makes total sense um but uh in these days where media is just so prevalent it's it's analogous to stock to to footage like i mean like the should the footage um that you're shooting you know you you know in lots of situations you're probably keeping um, the rights to that film, you know, that, that footage and you being able to reuse it as stock down the line. So that's the exact same thing we're doing with music these days in, in those situations where, um, the budgets aren't, you know, can't, can't buy, you know, a work for hire or exclusivity. So, um, just something I wanted to throw out there, um, to composers and filmmakers alike. Cause uh, composers also are so excited, my, myself included that if I didn't have a, a mentor that was so emphatic with me about that point, I would have just been so excited to, you know, start working on my first independent film that I would have, okay, fine. Yeah. Where do I sign? You know? So, and that would have been in, in retrospect, a, a big mistake. I mean, my first feature that I scored in 2003, um, I, I still regularly licensed tracks from that film. Um, and so, I mean, and I, I poured my heart into that film. I mean, that, that film represents probably three or four months of my life. Um, and I think I got paid a thousand dollars for it. So, (laughs) um, and it's, you know, we, you know, I spent all the money on, on recording musicians. So, uh, 
I just think that, that that's something that is, is valid, you know, a valid thing worth mentioning. Yeah, that's definitely a good point to bring up for sure. And I mean, that, you know, that that in, in my mind, that should be an incentive as well for um, young composers to uh, have a willingness to take on projects, you know, like this that that are very low budget because it's it's a great way to to build up that library of Precisely. material, right? Exactly. Which, yep. Which I mean, I would imagine. I mean, that's that's probably something that is is really important, you know, these days. Oh my god! To make a living. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, without releasing, you know, too much. Uh, I mean, my library accounts for at least half of my income. I mean, it's it, it's definitely substantial. I. I I, I don't want to. I, I don't think I'd be out in the streets without it. But um, <laughs> like, it definitely is allowing. Like, I wouldn't have built my portable rig if I didn't have that income. Basically, right. right. Awesome. Well, uh, maybe we can just sort of close things out by uh, having you um, tell folks where they can go to uh, to, to listen to um, your the stock footage that you, or the stock music that that you do have available. Sure. Uh, for, for folks to download. Yeah, um, so New West Studios. Uh, my wife actually is also a composer. She works on network TV. Um, she works on the, fo- the show Bones. Um, so we have a company together called New West Studios, and it's uh, newweststudios.com. Two W's in there, so N E W W E S T studios.com. And then that has links to both of our websites too, but um, the, the main site is kind of the hub where uh, we have this cool little sizzle reel that we shot a couple years ago. Um, I didn't mention really that I have a knack for photography as well. I love mostly stills, um, nature and wildlife stuff, but, um, but of course DSLRs can shoot video. So we had fun, we had fun making a little video a couple years ago. Um, so that's there. And then, um, our whole library is there. It's about 1600 tracks. And then if you want to just go learn about either of us a little bit more, you could go to our personal websites, which has, um, some playlists also there and our bios and all, all that stuff. Um, yeah, but that's, that's basically the skinny on it. Fantastic. You know, I was also, I, I forgot to, I wanted to mention this earlier, but, um, I, I'm wondering if there's anywhere that folks can go to listen to your, um, Arctic ground squirrel inspired, <laughs> uh, composition. You know, there is a recording of it somewhere. Um, I haven't got it yet. The performance without saying too much didn't go as, uh, ideally as i had hoped the, the dress rehearsal was better and i think there's a recording of that too I, I do have to say it's it's not it's not going to end up in any films anytime soon um it's not the most like marketable music if you will um it's kind of out there but um yeah at some point um if if the recording is <laughs> i'm being coy about this one uh if the recording is up to snuff um i will i will definitely put it on the website and stuff but um for now, you could definitely uh, check out the more polished stuff on, on the site, um, and I, I, I do have some um, some links to some of my videos and photos from our trips. We've been to Africa a few times, and so I um, had fun shooting the wildlife over there with my camera. Um, I just had to clarify the the shooting, you know, with the with the recent events of last week. <laughs> Real real men shoot with cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I, I'm pretty sure all your listeners are going to be on the same page as us on, yeah. the, on this issue. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, yeah, thanks a lot, Cody, for coming on the show. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. I always, As you could tell, I always I, I love to talk about this stuff. So, Yeah. All right. That was our conversation with Cody Westheimer from New West Studios. I love Cody's enthusiasm for the work that he's doing, and it's always fun to learn about people who have found unique ways to combine their interests. My favorite interviews that we do here in the podcast are with folks who are allowing the natural world to inspire their artistic expression, and Cody is definitely a really perfect example of this. So if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode where we'll have links to Cody's website and the website for New West Studios, where you can listen to some of his work and explore his extensive stock music library. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org slash EOC35. That's wildlensinc.org slash EOC35. 
This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our special theme music for this episode was composed and recorded by Cody Westheimer.